episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nathan. What's good, Nathan? Yo, what's up, man? Hey, Carson Wentz last season was a MVP candidate, right? Was that last year or was that 2017 or was it 2001? I can't remember. I don't know what year you're living in, but to go from Russ or possibly Deshaun to Carson Wentz, man, that's quite quite the turn for your uh, Washington commanders. You're missing the story that they allegedly made a call on Patrick Mahomes as well. Oh, that, that was rich too. <laughs> <sighs> Fuck, man. Why did... I would... Of the carousel of shitty, mediocre quarterbacks that were being thrown around, I think Wentz was last on the list for me, at least. I would have rather had Trubisky. I would have rather had Jimmy G. I would rather had Jameis. I would have rather had almost, I'm trying to think, who else was Gardner out Michu? there? Maybe ever for Wentz, though. I guess if you talk about compensation, draft compensation to get him plus his salary, I don't know. I don't know that it's that different, but. <sighs> it's just I mean, not meant to be for us. I mean, I don't know how else to put it, but I the guess the worst thing about Wentz is also the the stuff that's coming out around how he's a terrible leader, is not willing to be coached up, like all the stuff off the field. I uh, thought we knew that already. That's what they were saying when he left Philly, and then they I said guess it again when he left. The- I know. And the worst, most indicting, you know, the biggest indictment about all this is Frank Reich, who's his number one supporter was like, I'm out after one year and actually went and apologized to Jim Ursay that he forced them to trade for, for, for Wentz. So I don't know if Ron Rivera, he may not have internet access. Like it's unclear what's going on in terms of like his ability to, to find out some of this information, but clearly you and I know it from Twitter more than the coaching staff and front office does of Washington. So the, you know, actually the most depressing part about all this is he's a significant upgrade at quarterback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's an upgrade. But the the worst part is the commanders are trying to sell him to the to the franchise as if, you know, they've made a big splash move at QB. When in reality, you you know, it's a marginal upgrade. It's a marginal upgrade, and that was pretty much clear by the fact that our title odds and our division odds and none of that changed before or after that acquisition. Or they dropped. So. They dropped because I mean, built into the odds was the fact you might get a, a Deshaun Watson. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Well, you know, we made a better offer for Russell Wilson than uh, Denver did. He didn't want to play for us, and I don't yeah. blame him. And they didn't want to trade him to the NFC. So what are you going to do? But um, Join the club, man, and uh, teams that are not going to have great quarterbacks next year. Well, it could well be Bucks, are still, it could Bucks be are still in the Deshaun mix, it seems like. So who knows? Yeah, I hope I hope they don't sign off on that. So we'll see. Or maybe Jameis coming home. He, that won't happen. Just, he can't. There's too much baggage. Yeah, there's too much. Um, anyway, so I just wanted to, to, to spout off on that at the top of the pod. But nonetheless, last week we did the Eastern Conference preview or playoff preview, let's call it. This week we're going to do the West, which is starting to take shape. Um, there's a lot of, you know, fun storylines out, out East that's probably been covered more frequently, but I think the West is just as compelling in some different ways. Before we get into that, though, we have to start with the return of Andre Drummond tonight to <laughs> Philadelphia. Sixers, Nets, um, 
the Sixers, the Nets beat the brakes off the Sixers. I think what was the final? 129 to 100. It was pretty much over by halftime, right? Yep. Actually, it might have even, you could argue it was over the by the end of the first quarter, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, you know, Ben Simmons did not play, but he did make the trip. So credit to him for mental fortitude there. Uh, you know, Kyrie, Seth Curry, Kevin Durant, they kind of all had their way with this porous Philadelphia defense. And, you know, James Harden looked like what James Harden looks like in big games. He went three of, what was it? What was his final line? Three of 17? No. Th- yeah, three of 17, yeah. 11 points, six rebounds, five assists. So, and Embiid only went five of 17 because he, but he got to the line so many damn times that he actually ended up with 27 and 12. But anyway, what were your immediate takeaways? How much stock should we put into tonight's result? Does it mean anything moving forward? I think we have to put stock in it in the sense that we poured dirt on the Nets too quickly and we crowned the Sixers a little too fast. You know, me included. I and I think say, what tonight me showed or you. Uh, I mean, I think everyone, right? I think what tonight showed was Kyrie and KD can buy a bucket anytime. We knew that. But I was surprised to see how much uh, Embiid struggled with Drummond. And it, it, he was getting frustrated. We know that they, before they played together, they had a little beef, right? So mm-hmm. I don't know if that was part of it. And so he was not really, he was taken out of his game. He got his free throws, but he was really working hard to get those free throws, not quality shots. And and James Harden, I mean, this is, <clears throat> it looked like Houston James Harden in the playoffs. Like, I know everyone's talking about this, this is playoff Harden. It's exactly what, you know, when he couldn't get anything going offensively, he was settling for those step back threes. He wasn't being able to hit them. And then he gets frustrated early on when he's not getting the calls. Um, and so they got taken out of their game really quickly. And this is a Doc Rivers team. They're not going to scratch and claw their way back. There's yeah. no adjustments Doc Rivers has sitting in his bag to try to get this game back under control. And they just don't have enough shooting to when they go big down big. They don't have enough shooting to come back and really make a run of their own. So all those things put together, and it's a Nets win. I, you can't read too much into it, but at the same time, it is worrisome for Philly. Well, the, the most amazing part about the Nets is they represent like the true yin and yang of a potential franchise, right? Because even as we sit today, they are the odds-on favorite to win the Eastern Conference. Despite the fact that they're almost definitely going to be a play-in team, despite the fact that if they remain in their current seating, which is eighth, they're not even going to have Kyrie Irving in that in that play-in game, most likely, assuming Toronto finishes seventh. And, you know, the rules have still not changed. We're hearing that they might, but if they don't by the time the play-in starts, which is in four weeks, he's not going to be able to play in the 8-9 game either, assuming that the Nets aren't able to win that first one. So, it's so bizarre to watch this dichotomy. I mean, like you said, I mean, when those two dudes want to score, there's no one on the planet that can stop them. Um, if they're missing shots, they're missing shots. But if they Durant will get every look that he wants to get, and he did that today. He did that on Tybal. He did it on Tobias Harris. He did it on Joel Embiid. Like, yes, he missed his shots here and there, but you look up, he's still 10-17, 7 pretty much coasted after the first quarter, right? Like, he had it on cruise control. And so this is why they're so tantalizing. And you have to assume that this is only going to get way better once Ben Simmons is back in the fold to be able to take some of that pressure off defensively, right? Um, 
we don't know what he's going to bring. I think when we talked about this last week, it was almost like they have to get an incomplete because we hadn't seen Durant. You know, we I still haven't seen Simmons, but I don't know that I'm taking another team over them if they're healthy and complete because I just don't know that anybody can match their shot making. Uh, and like you said, Drummond was giving Embiid more problems than he has historically in the past. I don't know if that means anything or if that's just one game where Embiid was off, but it wasn't just Embiid missing bunnies. Like he was getting kind of bumped around. He's he, getting pushed off his spot. Yeah, exactly. And Drummond's not by any measure weak. So, and look, this is the the analogy with the Todd McCullough, uh, Matt Geiger. Like how many bigs do they have? They can throw a lot of bigs out there who yeah. can just keep picking up fouls. Now you don't want to foul Embiid intentionally. He's such a good free throw shooter. But the point is they have depth at that big man position as well. So, that's that's my thoughts on the Nets. I think you got to take them as seriously as you did at any point in the last couple of years. We just need to see Simmons to really understand the 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 peak powers of this team. And the other thing is, everyone knew Seth Curry um, was going to be a good addition to this team just on paper, and he hasn't had that many huge scoring outbursts until tonight. And he dropped twenty four, but he looks so comfortable out there. Yeah, and just to have that third option. When you know Simmons is not going to provide that scoring punch, you know, he's going to have you kind of, he's going to be an offensive liability, right? Anytime you play him, um, that's huge for them. And and I, I don't know, man, like Simmons in some of these crunch time lineups, I don't even know if they're going to end up playing Simmons unless they play him at like the five and then they go yeah. all yeah. shooters after that. This is why the Joe Harris loss is so big because right now, if if they wanted to go four shooters, they're have to gonna they're gonna have to go really small, right? Because it's gonna yep. be Kyrie Curry and Patty Mills or and Dragic with Durant, of course. So that's the problem. Bruce Brown showed me he's a great energy guy. He's a great defender, energizer bunny, kind of do everything. I don't know if you can get away with playing him and Simmons together. We'll see. Um, it wouldn't be the first time a team has played two non shooters and been okay. To your point about Philly, they did lose a lot of shooting, and you still do that trade 10 out of 10 times, but you forget how valuable a guy like Seth Curry is. Like You just said he hasn't had a big scoring outburst. Part of that is because it's harder for him to score as the number one option than it is the number three option. Like Durant and, and Kyrie attract so much attention, they're feeding him wide open looks over and over. Very similar with the DHOs he was running with Embiid. Very similar to that J.J. Redick. He might, dude, he might be the most underpaid player in the league. I think he makes like $8 million a year. So um, huge get for the Nets. Um, again, I think the Sixers will be fine if Harden can get his head out of his ass. But isn't this kind of the issue when things get tight? Like, isn't this what we were saying, talking about last week? Like, what are his defining playoff moments? And you can't really come up with a list. So this was a playoff atmosphere. And guess what he did? He just was invisible and he was forcing the issue and he just made a lot of bad plays that took them out of the game early. Yeah, it was, uh, it was not a good Harden game for sure. And the problem with this team is they're so top heavy. They, you know, the last couple of wins they've had since the Harden trade, what Maxi has to go for 20, 25, every single one of those games tonight, Harden doesn't have it going. Maxi doesn't have it going. You're never going to get Tobias Harris to, to do anything. It looks like, I think we've firmly come to that conclusion. And so this team, it, if those guys aren't clicking, they're dead in the water. Uh, there's, there's not, they're not getting an outburst from Niang, or they're not getting an outburst from freaking Corkmaz or Shake Milton. Like mm-hmm. they have to rely on their stars to score. And if Harden is not gonna, if he's gonna play this kind of vanishing act again, 
this team's not going to get far. Like it's, and you can't, like you said, you can't overreact to one game, but this was a playoff atmosphere. Both teams were scrappy. They were going at it. Like you could Durant tell wanted blood tonight in Harden. Durant wanted blood. Like this was not just a, a typical regular season game. So it doesn't bode well that they went down 17 in the first. It wasn't even like they slowly built up that lead. It was, they got boat raced from the beginning. And the thing is, the Sixers started scoring, you know, pretty efficiently once they got into the rhythm. But every time down the floor, they would give up these wide open looks and the Nets would just make them pay. Like they could not get more than like two stops in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a moment in the fourth quarter. Obviously, the game was far away. Far Sorry, the third quarter, the game was like 30 points. And it was like, if they could just get it to 20, like try, try to talk yourself to that because the starters were still on the floor. Nope, no chance. Uh, you know, Durant or Curry or even uh, Bruce Brown on drives like Kyrie was in his bag like. They were having fun. And, like, I think Bill Simmons brought this up. He was talking about how Kyrie feeds off of that negative energy, as does Durant. That's what all the stars do. Yep. How can you expect Simmons to do that in a road environment? There's a world in which he doesn't have to. Um, I know the hack of Ben thing is out there, but you do not want to put a team into the penalty that has Durant and Kyrie drawing free throws if they want it. So I'm not sure it's just as simple as, like, let's just put them on the line. Because you have... 90% shooters all the all the way around him. And so maybe they're able to protect him enough where he can really just be like a super role player. And then that's all it is. But every time he steps on the floor, we're going to hear leading with SportsCenter what his stat line was. So that's just the only thing they have to account for. And, and here's the problem, though, right, with Simmons. Like, he's – the reason he was still valuable offensively is because he's a great playmaker. You know, even if he isn't shooting, he was actually a decent scorer until, you know, some of those playoff – collapses the problem though is if this guy's mentally soft right and i'm not going to go into whether he has mental health issues or not but if he's if he's going to have a hard time playing in these tough environments when they're on the road in philly and if he is getting you know letting them get into his head what if he like in the playoffs of the past he stopped being that playmaker as well you know his assist number went down his scoring went down if he just becomes useless on the offensive end i don't care how good of a defensive player he is he might play himself out of the rotation. So I'm, I'm curious yeah. to see how he's going to respond to, because he's going to get this in a lot of arenas. It's not just going to be Philly. Yeah. Other teams, well, other teams, fans are going to be going at him. So that'll be interesting to see. The only, the only plus point, and we'll move on now is that Simmons, even in last year's playoffs did average nine assists, eight rebounds a game, you know, a steal and a block. So there was an element of him doing enough elsewhere, even if he was just terrified to shoot. You remember even Trey Young struggled quite a bit in that series because Simmons was checking him. So there is things that he can do, and there is things that he did that obviously pale in comparison to what he did not do. But nonetheless, I don't think his entire game is going to drop off, um, even when his scoring did. Because at the lowest point, which is you know last year's playoffs, he was still able to be productive elsewhere. To your point about him being soft, I mean – I don't know that I've seen a more mentally kind of fragile player of this caliber. Maybe Westbrook. Truthfully. Maybe Westbrook. But listen, Westbrook goes out and he'll shoot five of 18 and give a yeah. shit. He'll turn the ball over 12 times if it pisses you off, 14 if it you know gets you even more angry. That's the thing about Russ. I mean, the West, Westbrook thing aside, like Simmons is afraid to make plays and that is the worst position to be in. Uh, for someone who has to perform under pressure. Like, you cannot be afraid to fail. 
you can get mad at the response, you can get mad at the reaction, you can't be afraid to do it. And that's what last we saw him at least is what it was. That's why it's such a big deal. We we don't see guys like this. We don't yep. see this from anyone. Um did weren't you what would you what were you t- telling us um about one of the reasons he even came to this game tonight? Well, so the the story is um the reason he wanted to come and sit on the bench for this game specifically when he hasn't done that for the past few games is because, you know, obviously his team is filing a grievance trying to get some of his paychecks back and to use as evidence for this grievance he wanted to sit and then receive all the boos um from the fans to show that you know this is what's a detriment to his mental health and so that report came out and so it's a very calculated move it's not like hey i want to be here with my teammates it's i'm going to come and sit out here because it's going to benefit me and uh me trying to recoup my money so <laughs> that's insane like listen to that yeah that's actually insane um, but I, you know, maybe they don't have to go through Philly. Like the Bucks have now caught the, the Sixers in the standings. So assuming Brooklyn finishes seven and eight, seven or eight, excuse me, you're either looking at Brooklyn, Miami, or potentially Brooklyn, Milwaukee as a round one matchup. Insane. <laughs> like, <It's> insane. <laughs> you know, I, I can't even believe like Giannis could be going home or Durant could be going home round one. Yeah. That's it. Done. You're out. So yeah, there's we'll no see. way they're getting the six seed. So I think they're guaranteed to play heat bucks or, and, th- and you're going to see some jostling with those teams at the end of the season. If, yeah, for if sure. Brooklyn locks himself into an eight seed. You can bet your ass the heat are going to be trying to drop a few games at the end, trying to uh, avoid them. Right. So hundred percent. And not to mention, you know, you still want home court advantage yourself because you don't know exactly what Brooklyn's going to do. It's a one game sample. You don't know if they're going to be seven or eight. Yep. You know, you can't, this is like last year. I remember the teams were running from the uh, Wizards. I think but about they that. Did, You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Because teams were running from the Wizards and they were like, I don't know if, you know, if the Wizards are going to finish seven or eight, we're trying to avoid them, but we don't know how to avoid them. So you're best off getting the three seed then falling all the way to three, which is. Yeah. And then going and playing Cleveland, which is now tailed off a little bit. Um, okay, cool. So let's move on to the West. It was a little longer than we, but this is the story of the NBA. So we had to talk about it. Um, the Western conference, uh, has an interesting mix of teams. Cause like we said last week, they actually have the three teams with the best records in the league. And it doesn't feel that way. Just given, the talent, the storylines, and what we think to be the better teams out out east. But the West, actually, Phoenix, Memphis, Golden State are better than any of the records in the east. So let's start, you know, number one, Phoenix, 53-13, and 13, all but locked up the number one seed uh, throughout the playoffs. They're fourth in offense, second in defense, first in net rating. It's 7.9 points per 100 possessions. Um, my question, and so I'm going to start again, each of these with a question for you. My question is, for what seems to be the most complete team in the league, do you see any weaknesses that can be exposed come playoff time? I honestly don't think so. Um, this team is, is as complete as you get. I mean, you talked about what them being top five in offense, defense, net rating. Yep. They're the only team that's top five in all three. And there's only three teams that are top 10 in all three. Mm-hmm. So this is a as complete of a team 
as you can have, right? And we think about last year, what was the big uh, problem for them was the big man depth. Uh, when DeAndre Aiden was out or he got into foul trouble, Kaminsky was getting big minutes. Uh, they just didn't have the bodies to throw, you know, at Giannis. And, and when they when they go up against some of these bigs, I think now they've got some of that depth at JaVale McGee. They got guys who can play those minutes. And then the rest of the roster is the same as last year. And, and you even have a guy like Landry Shamit, who he started the season off slow. But now, especially when Booker was out for those couple games, health and safety protocols, Shamit was putting up like 15 a game and giving them a scoring punch uh, in that starting spot. So they, they're deeper. They're good offensively. They're good defensively. They've got that big man depth. I, there's, there's nothing on paper that would slow this team down. The biggest question mark is going to be Chris Paul and hoping that, you know, the injuries and nothing happens with him and he's healthy. But other than that, I don't know. What do you see? I mean, dude, you hit it the nail on the head. It's it, you have it pretty good when Javel McGee and Landry Shamit shore up your two biggest weaknesses, right? Like if that's all you really need, um, they they literally can play every style of basketball at a very high level. They can play half court. They have the point god. They have Devin Booker. Those two guys combined are like scorched earth in clutch time this season, right? They have three really, really high-quality 3 and D guys. And again, emphasis on both 3 and D because sometimes we try to talk ourselves into 3 and D guys who only do one of the two. So Mikael Bridges, um, Jay Crowder, and Cam Johnson. Now you could argue you'd like a fourth one, but that's that's sort of luxury at that point, right? Because if you think about it, it's really like how are we guarding LeBron? How are we guarding the Kawhis of the world? How are we guarding the Lucas of the world? Um there's a possibility they only have to figure out how to guard one of those three, right? Because the other two could be sitting at home. So, and, and Aiden, you know, what he showed us last year is really important. He can play against small lineups. He does not limit this team the way you could argue Rudy Gobert limits the Jazz and against some of the small ball. Like, he's able to hold his own, be efficient, you know, actually punish teams for, for going small and guarding him with a small body. Chris Paul's health, that's all it is, really. Like, if he stays healthy, I would have a tough time picking against this team to get out of the West. I just, like, I don't know. Like, will Luka be the best player in a series between the Mavericks and the Suns? Sure. And usually that's a pretty good indicator of who who wins a series. But the strength in numbers that they have is really just on another level. Um, With, you know, frankly, top-end talent. I'm not discrediting Booker and and, and Paul. Those guys are all-star, all-NBA caliber it's they have it all and they have continuity like almost nobody else in the West. So I think they're the favorite unless we see a revelation from, from Draymond and and the Warriors when they're back. I agree. It's going to be tough to, to beat them. And even the Warriors, like as much as Draymond will solve a lot of their issues, there's so many question marks that kind of give me pause and thinking that they're going to, you know, they'll have a chance for sure. They'll always have a chance, but I don't see them beating the Suns. I think that the other thing with the Suns is, for some reason, I don't think of them as this dominant team. Even though they were good last year, they're good this year. You know, they're running back the same team that went to the finals. Um, And there's so many kind of tantalizing teams in the West because, you know, Luka is such a force on his own that you you won't be surprised if Dallas pulls off an upset. Same thing with Jokic and the Nuggets. Um, That's the team. It's... 
even though there are a lot of teams in the West who are clearly a step below the Suns, they've got enough star power that you could see them maybe pulling off an upset. I think that's the only path I can see the Suns losing if some star goes nuclear. But other than that, it's it's either the Warriors, the Suns, or one of these stars single-handedly handedly carrying one of these teams to the finals. So, Yeah, I have a couple thoughts on that. We'll get to them when we talk about those teams. Yep. But next up is is maybe one of the almost underrated teams despite how much attention uh their stars their star point guards getting but that's memphis grizzlies who have climbed all the way into the two seed the aforementioned second of the three teams that are top five top 10 in offense defense net rating they're sixth seventh and fifth respectively um you know Ja is going to finish in the top five on a lot of mvp ballots he's averaging 28 7 and 6 um his his three point shooting has declined a bit from a hot stop early, but still at a respectable thirty five percent. Like you have to guard him out there; he's not going to do anything, uh, you know, too crazy. But you have to respect that shot. It's not like Russ where you just let him shoot. Um, you know, Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks, Jaron Jackson, all of these guys provide a lot of complimentary pieces, and then Stephen Adams has really shored up their defensive rebounding. He's shored up their interior defense. So I like what I've seen all year from Memphis. And specifically, I like that they have not wilted when I really thought that it was a hot start team that was going to cool off kind of like a Charlotte or even a Washington early on in the year. They built on that eight seed last year, winning a game in Utah, all those kinds of things. And now, you know, they might honestly be, they might not honestly even be favored in their round one series. So where are you at with Memphis and is it a year too soon or can they make noise this year? It's it's a year too soon, I still think. Um, they've tailed off a little bit recently, right? They've been consistent all year, but, uh, you know, um, they haven't pulled away. You know, the Warriors went through a five-game losing streak, uh, and Memphis still only managed to to find themselves half a game above the Warriors, and the Warriors are playing right now and could easily vault back into the two-seed. And I, I think for the Grizzlies, what's going to be key is keeping that two-seed. Because if they fall to three, you're, you're going to be playing – Dallas or Denver mm-hmm. and in no scenario would I pick Memphis or those two teams even by all metrics Me- Memphis has been a better team we clearly have seen what Jock can do in the postseason last year when you know he won that play playing game he went up against the Jazz and had some big performances I I don't trust this roster to beat a Nugget squad or a Maverick squad and so I think it's going to be an early round one exit unless they can hold on to that two seed. Um, so I, I still think it's a year away. Like the furthest they'll get is second round, but they've got to, they've got a lot to build on, right? And they've got a lot of young pieces. Um, the the one disappointing thing I'll say is that Jaron Jackson, his shooting, you know, has three point shooting has been non-existent this year, and it's only yeah. gotten worse as the season has gotten along. And I, they, he doesn't even take as many threes now the last couple of months. And that's an element, like, if Jaw is not shooting threes, I know they've got a bunch of shooters, but I, I wish Jaron Jackson would add that to his game because that adds a whole other dimension to their offense. But it doesn't look like it's happening anytime soon. So, Yeah, Jaron Jackson has been a player that always leaves you wanting more. And even that extension he signed, you kind of look at it, you're like, has he deserved, uh, has he played up to a $100 million extension? Or is this like, a lot of like, I think we know what we're getting from you. And he's been better defensively. You know, sometimes people have put him in the defensive player of the year conversation. 
I think he leads the league in blocks and blocks per game uh, outside of Miles Turner. And so you understand that side of things. But when you think about where they're going to get their offense from, Ja, I think, will be slowed a little bit in the playoffs, right? We see this all the time with with guards who can't, you know, look at John Wall. And Ja is a better player than John Wall ever was. But you look at when they, like, really sag off and make you a jump shooter, it's hard. Um, you get to your 20, 25 points a game, but you do it on 20, 25 shots, right? And so where's the scoring coming from? Are you going to really count on Desmond Bain, who's never been there before? Are you really going to count on Jaron Jackson, who was hurt last year and wasn't in the playoffs? So that would be the big concern. If they played Memphis, for example, sorry, excuse me. If they played Denver, for example, and they Denver got Jamal Murray back by then, that, that, that to me is a wrap. But if they don't have Jamal Murray... There is an element of like Jokic can only do so much and Monty Morris and Will Barton and, you know, Aaron Gordon are primarily involved and therefore it's tough. So it's going to be matchup dependent. Like you said, I, I don't even think that it's a guarantee they would beat a Minnesota with as well as they've played recently. Right. So um, I think this is a great story out of Memphis and we shouldn't discount it. I, I wonder if it's similar to how we felt about Chicago where the seeding is telling maybe a different story than where they currently stand as a team. Yeah, and we have this every year, right? We have the the metrics darling of a team that's the top seed but hasn't proven anything in the postseason, and you always got to be wary of those teams, as cliche as it sounds. And look, it's this is just the start for them, so I, I don't think it's a big deal if they don't make noise this postseason. I just don't see it happening. It would be a little disappointing only because they were round one last year, um, and so you'd like to build on that if you can, but... Hey, man, these playoffs are a gauntlet. Whoever wins the title is going to be well-deserved. Um, all right, you mentioned the Warriors. Let's go to the Warriors now. They're 12th in offense, first in defense still, third in net rating. So the fact that they're first in defense with all the time is... Mind. Yeah. And as, as crazy as the Celtics have been, and then as the fact that they haven't had Draymond for so long. So um, the question I have is, when you look at this Celtic, uh, sorry, this Warriors team, what is is the sort of integration of Clay Thompson back into the starting lineup, back into the rotation, going to ultimately pay dividends come playoff time? Or you think that it's going to be uh, something that ends up costing them? So I don't, it's a good question. I don't know. Um, I think Clay has been on and off. Uh, you know, he's had some games where he looks like the old Clay, and he's had a lot of, several games where he struggled. And I think defensively, he's not the exact same player he was before and understandable coming off an ACL. One of the things that's hurt them is that Jordan Poole got moved to the bench yep. with, with Clay starting. And Poole, who was a big piece, a, a contributor to their success early in the season, has not found that same success coming off the bench. But one stat I did see is that when they play Poole, uh, Clay, and Steph together, they've only played like 74 minutes together. Mm-hmm. But they outscored teams by 31 points uh, per 100 possessions. Wow. So I think there needs to be some tinkering. I think there's an opportunity to maybe, you know, play that lineup a little bit more. So you're getting the most out of pool and clay. I think right now it's still a little clunky, but it's one of those things where I don't know. Are we going to expect clay to just become the game six clay that we've seen in the past? It may not happen. Yeah. He may need a full offseason to recover and maybe next season. And this team... I don't know. Like, it's going to have to be a lot of stuff. It's, you're going to have to rely on Draymond playing. Look, you're going to be going up against Jokic. You're going to be going up against potentially Cat, like a lot of bigs. That's going to put a lot of wear and tear on you. 
it's not going to be easy for them. Um, so I don't know. I, I just think that I think the Jordan pool is the biggest part of it. Like with the fact that Wiggins has struggled as much as he had recently, I wonder if they're going to end up moving more to that three guard lineup. You mentioned, even if it's in crunch time, like tonight, this game was 100, 202, like pool just hit two threes to send him home. And like the Warriors are going to get a much needed win. Right. So that's the kind of thing. I really wonder if there's a world in which, you know, they don't end up putting clay to the bench. It's more of Wiggins. Cause clay is the guy who's been there and clay is the one with the pedigree. And when Draymond comes back, ideally clay gets more open looks like right now he's forcing a lot of contested jumpers. I don't know if that's because he's struggling to get separation, which is possible, or if it's more so because, you know, he's just trying to put up as many game shots as he can. You hope it's the latter, but the way he looks, which is not very spry anymore and not very agile, makes you wonder if it could be the uh, the former. And so these are questions that we need to answer. Like Draymond's coming back on Monday, so they'll have a solid month to – to because you remember, Draymond's not played with Clay. Um, yeah. He came in for two seconds that first game. He's not played since then. So it's going to take, you know, as many years of, of chemistry as they have together, it's going to take a month to kind of get their sea legs back from under them. And for them, it's not about playoff. It's Sorry, it's not about home court advantage. It's not about anything but health and chemistry. And if they have that, I think they can win the title. Absolutely. Um, Steph is, needs to get back to his first half of the season version and, some games he looks like it, some games he doesn't. But I think, again, Draymond will help open the floor or help stop you know teams from keying in on him because yep. if they blitz the pick and roll, he can just find Draymond, dump it off, and now it's four on three. You know, So there's a lot more they can do offensively, actually, with Draymond. And, of course, defense speaks for itself. I think the most disappointing thing has been Wiggins. Um, yeah. He's, he always like reverts back to who, he, who he's always been, right? A guy you can't cons- – count on consistently for points, even when you're lacking, you know, scoring on any given night. His, his three-point shooting has started to fall off again. Um, it's And this is the same player we've seen for so many years now. So all the early, you know, season buzz, and he got the All-Star starter nomination, and and they, he's still a guy you can't rely on. And right. that's a problem. Yep. Okay. The Utah Jazz, they are actually the best offensive team in the league. Number one, they're 10th in defensive rating, which is a slip from recent years, but still second in net rating. Um, You know, they're 41 and 24. And my question is, is this the last year before we see major changes or can they make a deep enough run to give this core one more chance? This is the last year. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This is the last year. You're already hearing a lot of, I don't know, like I don't know if the rumors about Donovan Mitchell not being, you know, kind of pleased with the situation there. Whether it's this thing with Rudy Gobert, whether it's being in Utah, there's you know, there's a lot of kind of smoke coming out of that team. And for a team to be, you know, they've had a couple of dominant regular seasons this year, not the same kind of success. But if they flame out again, they're gonna have to do something different. And I don't see this nucleus staying the same way next year now what do they do like can you move gobert i I don't know but i think this is going to be the last run and look they're right now even if they get past the mavericks which is going to be a tough matchup in round one they got to beat the suns um in round two so it's not like they have an easy path to the conference finals and then they they might lose there it's this team is going to fall short 
in the second round, most likely, maybe the first. So I think this might be the end of the road then uh, for them. Well, and they've got a lot I, of vets, right? They got they a lot of got a, they got a lot of older guys that this is a roster that will need retooling going into next year, regardless. The challenge with the Jazz is always like if you look at the numbers themselves from the regular season, they kind of jump off the page. And this year, you still see it, despite the fact that the defense has taken a a dip. They're number one in offense. They're number one in three-point shooting. They're number one in attempts. You look at their most played lineup, Bogdanovich, Conley, Gobert, Mitchell, and Royce O'Neal, their starting lineup. They've played 605 minutes together, and they're averaging, you know, their net rating is plus 10, which would lead the league, right? Like I just said, the Suns are number one in the league at 7.9. So they're 10.0 on that lineup, which can play a lot together in the in the um in the playoffs and honestly when you drop uh conley and gobert and put in hassan whiteside and clarkson they're two primary people off the bench they're 10.1 right so there's a version of this that can work but we've seen this this is yeah. what happens every year so i'm telling you i'm trying to make an argument for the jazz and i don't know what i would say other than they're a great great regular season team that you know, has repeatedly fallen short in the playoffs and they haven't changed anything about their team that would make me think otherwise. So um, that's where we stand now. Let's see if there's a reason to feel differently. But if they play the Mavericks, I fully expect Luka to dump them in round one. And they're, I mean, they're a team that, like you said, they're been very successful this year across you know, various metrics, but it's the same formula they've been using. It's not like they reinvented themselves and are winning in a different way. It's volume three-point shooting, very good offensively, and now they can't even stand by their defensive numbers, which we already see in the playoffs takes a, a hit because Gobert is not the same player. Um, so I, I don't know. Like This is a team that it's good enough that if you get a couple breaks you know, with injuries in the West, you can get to the finals, but you need a lot of breaks. I mean, you're playing Luka, the Suns, and then maybe the Warriors after that. Like It's not... Nothing about this team in the last couple of years has shown me they can go through that gauntlet. So Yep. Yeah, I mean, look, they got breaks last year. They didn't have, you know, Kawhi Torres ACL yeah, in that true. series, and they were still sent home by Paul George and the Clippers. So I don't know. It's it's one of those like, how many more times are we gonna see it till we know that we've seen it? And and this is probably getting pretty close. Yep. All right. Next up is the Dallas Mavericks, who are, I'm sorry, let me just, 40 and 26, um, 18th in offense, which is pretty pathetic for a team that employs Luka Doncic, but 6th in defense and a big, big improvement from the start of the year, 10th in net rating. Um, they've been a totally different team for the last two months, so it's almost like a have and have not kind of kind of season, but I, I guess I have a better taste in my mouth for watching how bad that uh, Knicks game was yesterday, where Luca still had 31 and somehow you know they shot the bed everyone else. So is this gonna work, dude? Like this Lucas entirely Lucas centric offense that basically it can't even walk straight without him. Like is this how can how can you count on this for four rounds, much less two rounds? It's not gonna work, but. They they found a couple of things that have been promising, right? When you look at what's been going on this season, one is by removing Porzingis, they've started jacking up their three point frequency and and become more of a traditional LeBron style Luca and shooters, right? And that that's been working for them for the most part. Despite I know the offense is only 18th, but 
it's been working decently well. Um, the challenge is, like you said, they're, I mean, oh, sorry, the other promising thing I wanted to mention is their defense, which is not reliant on any, you know, defensive talent per se, but just scheme. And so yeah. it gives you a lot of faith in what kid can build on the defensive side. And the offense, you can always find shooters. You can find ways to improve, especially when you have Luca as the center. But the problem is, like, you can't seriously look at me in the face and tell me that Luca, Dinwiddie, <laughs> Dorian Finney-Smith, Reggie Bullock is going to be a, you know, finals team. Uh, as great as Luca is. So this is a team that still needs talent and still needs tr- uh, tinkering. And look, Spencer Dinwiddie has been great. He's shooting 45% from three. Um, Let me be the first to tell you since, that's not going to last. Since the trade, I think. But that's not going to last. And he's never shot like that in his career. So some of these things, they're all going to come back down to earth. This team is middling on offense despite Luca's brilliance. And they go through these games like the Knicks where they literally – can't get any buckets from anyone outside of Luca. So there's three offenses that this distinctly reminds me of um, that are all centered around an otherworldly genius passer, physical specimen, kind of like do everything player. That's the first iteration of the Cavs, right? With Danielle Marshall, Booby Gibson. That this is the next incarnation of that roster. That yep. you know. Booby Gibson, Mo Williams, all those guys. It's the Harden Rockets without the year he went without Chris Paul, like kind of before Chris Paul arrived on the scene. And it's it's this team, right? And none of those teams are good enough to win a title, even on the strength of MVP or near MVP level. LeBron was an MVP in 09, right? Harden was an MVP in 17, uh, or 18, excuse me. And... Luca won't win the MVP this year, but he's probably going to be first team all NBA, right? So he's right up there in that mix. And it just doesn't work. I, I you know, you you're you're basically asking one guy to be perfect all the time. And he almost did it last year versus the best version of Kawhi, which is kind of insane and something we almost don't talk about because, you know, he faded down the stretch of some of those games, plus they lost. But like could he be the best player in the playoffs this year? Sure. But, like, how much better does he have to be than Donovan Mitchell, let's say, because Donovan Mitchell gets all this help from Gobert and Bogdanovich and whoever else. So, like, fine, you get through that once. And then you go play, like, Golden State, and you got to do this against Steph Curry, right? Or you got to do this against, you know, John Moran and all those guys. And, like, yeah, you're better than John Moran. Yeah, you could be better than Steph. But, like, the order of magnitude better you have to be versus what else that they can cover – their tracks versus, you know, your teammates is it's too hard. Um, you know, people always come back to like, how did LeBron lose that 09 West Eastern conference finals? Like that robbed us of a Kobe LeBron finals. It's because even though he was better than Dwight Howard, Dwight Howard was really damn good and had Jameer Nelson. He had Hito Turgaloo. He had Richard Lewis, you know, he had all these guys around him that lifted him up. Whereas LeBron was like, all right, it's me and these goofballs. And, that's kind of where we're at now. And, you know, I love Luca. You know me. Fourth year in the league. The fact that they still haven't put all star level talent around him is, it's tough to pill to swallow, I think. And they'll go into the summer, I think, once again, trying to figure out where they can get top shelf uh, teammates for him. Absolutely. And, and look, I have a theory about the playoffs. And this isn't, I haven't vetted this and looked back at data to see if this is actually true. This is just what I think. 
If you need to win four games in a playoff series, I think that, you know, if you're a really good team, your star can win two games by playing above average or playing really well, like having great games. One game you can win with your second co-star being the top guy, right, leading the charge. And then you can get one game where your role players go off and just carry you to maybe like at home, all your role players go off, hot shooting night, you win. Can that happen with this this Dallas team? Can Luka only have two good games, Spencer Dinwiddie carry them for one game, and have another game where all the other secondary stars go off? Like, it can't happen. Luka needs to play amazing at least four games to win, four for four wins. And so I think when you think about it that way, like, they just don't have enough. And I don't know, the, the scary thing is, I don't know what their path is to getting that either. Like, they saddle themselves with this Dinwiddie contract, with this Bertans contract. It's not like by removing themselves with Porzingis, they cleared up a lot of space or they had a lot of expirings, right? So, Well, the idea was to break it into smaller contracts. Yeah, that are easier more to move smaller contracts. I get the idea, but my point is it, it's still not like Bertans doesn't automatically become. No, he's horrible. And he <laughs> shot well for a couple of games and now he's horrible again, yeah. which brings a big smile to my face. So, you know, Luca, Luca, to his credit, I mean, in 14 games since February 1st is averaging 34, 10 and 7. So he's been like scorched earth. Like his usage is north of 41%, um, which is like approaching Westbrook triple double season territories. Like the first one, the MVP one where he basically controlled every play. You know, his conditioning does look better. Apparently he's lost like 15, 20 pounds since the start of the year. Um, Again, one of the big things that happened against the Clippers last year is he faded in every fourth quarter. You go back and look at the stats of his first three quarters versus fourth. It is a pretty jarring difference. And it's not just about defenses keying in. It's also about him running out of gas and missing shots. So there's a world in which if that doesn't happen and he's logging 42 to 44 productive minutes a game, to your theory, maybe he can win them three games. And then the Dorian Finney-Smiths, Jalen Brunson's of the world go balls to the wall and hit, you know, 22 threes, 24 threes in a game. And that that's that's the story, along with this awesome team defense they've been playing. That's see, that's the thing that they haven't had in years past. They have not had a defense that can get them stops when they need to. If the version that they've been playing right now translates into the playoffs, then it'll affords them more um opportunity uh t- to get their offense going even outside of Luca. The problem is defensive advantages in the regular season. Like, you can be an amazing defensive team in the regular season. You can still be that same amazing defensive team in the postseason, but every other team's defense also rises to another level, right? Right. The delta between your defense and their defense isn't as much anymore because naturally teams play harder, play more aggressive, can actually scheme based on their opponent. So, And I would say that that is not true if you have otherworldly defenders that can take their game up as well. Like the 08 Celtics had Garnett who could still go up a level in the playoffs. Who's going to do that for Dallas? Who's capable of doing that? Everyone's yep. playing as well and as hard as they can. They don't have like a Draymond or a Kawhi or, you know, some of those guys who can change or, or, or really level up defensively. Or you the way clamp you... you down on like late game possessions. Like... Right. Right. I mean, Dorian Finney-Smith is awesome, but he's one guy. I mean, he can guard one through four, but, you know, you're still counting on Dwight Powell reading the pick and rolls correctly and not letting Steph burn. Like, there's just a lot riding on guys who are good, not great. Yep. 
All right. Um, next up, the Denver Nuggets, correct? So they just lost tonight um, in a close one to to Golden State. So they're 40 and 27. You know, just a couple games up on the seventh seed. So they're busting their ass to avoid the play-in for sure. They don't want to see any part of that single elimination tournament. So, you know, eighth in offense, 11th in defense, ninth in net rating. Nikola Jokic is the only real player we need to talk about here, but Nonetheless, um, is he your favorite for for MVP? I I think he has to be. Um, The argument being really around the fact that Embiid is tapering off because of Harden's presence, right, is the main reason. He's not going to put up the gaudy numbers, whereas Jokic continues to put up what he put up against Sacramento last night, 38-18-5. In the game before that, something absurd too. Like this, he's he had forty six a few nights ago and scored thirty points combined in the fourth quarter in OT. Yeah. So just and look, the for a while everyone was not talking about Jokic, and there was so much noise about how come no one's talking about Jokic that he's getting talked about like to the you know other end now, where I think everyone recognizes it and is complaining about people who don't exist anymore because I I, I still think that. I mean, a lot of people have Embiid winning, but I think the tide is shifting towards Jokic. But it's just hard for people to get behind the idea of a back-to-back MVP. It's always hard. Giannis fought the same thing. Like, when he had an amazing season after his first MVP, and then he did win it, right? Second year in a row. But a lot of people were pushing back against it early on because they they wanted to see a huge leap. I I think it's hard to argue against his his MVP candidacy. Like, you shared that graph today, right? the one that's been going around about yeah his, the total points added where he's like number one in offense he's literally just a, not even on the chart um it's crazy and for and, those who are wondering it's just like total points added offensively and total points saved defensively are the two axes and he's about as top right as top right comes so so i mean it, look it, it's Jokic, um but the question for them is really going to be Jamal Murray, does he come back? Because if he comes back, this team, and who knows what he looks like, but this team becomes very interesting and a dark horse candidate to potentially make the finals. Because I I don't know, you know, just on paper, I haven't thought about how they match up with the Suns, but I think they could give the Suns fits. Yeah, I mean, dude, a healthy Nuggets team and – would be a top two contender, I think, in this conference. But, you know, what we saw last year, like the fact that Jokic willed them to a series victory against the Blazers, who absolutely had them outgunned, is a testament to his greatness. The fact that they got, you know, immediately swept by Phoenix is kind of showing you exactly the same limitations this roster has. It's the same story now. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. is supposed to come back in March this month. You know, Jamal Murray is supposed to come back in late March, early April to give himself a couple weeks before the playoffs. They're not going to do anything dumb. Those guys are both signed under long-term deals. The last thing they would want is a re-injury. But if they're ready and they want to play, they can play. I just I have more hope for Porter than I do for, for Murray, only because we know the timetable with ACLs is really like a season and a half to get back, right? Uh, to to your old self, so I'd expect him to look really good at the start of next year. I don't know what you're going to get from him now, and how many minutes you know they're going to play. It, this this feels like a TBD, but just to speak on Jokic's greatness, it's it's so you know you, we've become so desensitized to the numbers 
this is like what it was like when Westbrook's triple double was happening, except the team is like really good. Um, when he plays, they are one of the best teams in the league, as in like when he's on the court. You know, I already mentioned when we did the crazy stats pod about the net rating split is north of 20 uh, points difference between on and off, which is the highest, I think, since Steph's unanimous MVP year. Um, he he just does it all. And like, he is not the defender Giannis is. He's not the defender uh, Joel Embiid is. But the fact that you see his defensive points saved so high is a testament to how much better he's gotten versus the version of himself three, four years ago. And there's still parts of me that like wonders if you can go to him over and over the way you can, like a Kawhi or a KD. It's just not really the same kind of guy. Or even like an Embiid because he just – Embiid's so strong, he can just immediately get to the rim and get fouled. Jokic's game is predicated on a little bit more finesse despite how big he is. So that's the one part that gives me pause about like late game shot creation. But he keeps doing it. The only problem is half the time it's like passing to guys who aren't very good. So, you know, they got to make those shots or or their stars need to come back to, to give them a real chance in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, if MVP was based on that kind of ability to get a bucket at the end of crunch time, obviously you're going to take Embiid over him. You're going to take a lot of guys. But um, I, I think a- what you said about the defensive improvement is huge because he's not a sieve. It's not like, look, he's not a like uh, a defensive stud like Giannis or Embiid, but he's not a sieve. And he is, by all a lot of metrics, greatly improved and, and slightly above average. So... You can't really hold that against him too much, given the also the impact he's having on offense. And so, look, I've come around. I was an Embiid MVP maybe a couple weeks ago, but I think at this point it's hard to argue against Jokic. But yeah, we'll see what the voters do. All right, moving on. Maybe one of the the, the happier stories in the NBA this year that's not getting in quite enough shine really is Minnesota Timberwolves, who were kind of middling around 500 under 500 for much of the year now have been on fire of late. They're nine games up on 500, 38 and 29 seventh in the West. Uh, they're seventh on offense, 12th on defense, 11th in net rating. So very, very good team. Uh, your boy, Chris Finch is the head coach. And that was a great hire, you know, moving on from, uh, from Ryan Saunders last year. Or so, Carl Anthony Towns is the all-star. Anthony Edwards is, is of course, the promising, you know, young prospect. And D'Angelo Russell's found a nice role, I think, on this team as a distributor, as somebody who is going to still take a few terrible shots, but has played a lot more in check this year. Um, and they have a nice complement of, I think, bench guys between Malik Beasley, who had 11 threes yesterday, Jaden McDaniels, you know, Jared Vanderbilt, they're, they're Pat Beverly. There's... There's a lot of talent here. I really hope, as much as the ratings, the NBA probably would like both LA teams to get through, I really, really hope the Timberwolves can find their way into the top eight because, you know, it's fun to watch young players kind of figure it out, and I think, you know, Cat and others have. So um, I don't have a big question here other than, you know, maybe even taking a pass from this year. Like, is there anything you see next for this team that they need to do to actually do what Memphis did this season? So it's a great story. Uh, it's it's a shame that as well as they've played, you're still going to be the, what, seventh team in the, the West. Yeah. Um, they're seventh on offense, 12th in defense. The defensive improvement. Um, I haven't looked at Carl Anthony Towns' individual defensive numbers, but 
you know, in recent years, he was literally possibly one of the worst defenders you could have in the league. And everyone knows that if you have terrible defense at the rim, that usually sets the tone for your overall defense. And, and teams that don't have any kind of rim protection are not good defensive teams. So the fact that they've been doing so well this year is is a testament to to his improvement. And, and also, I'm glad you mentioned Chris Finch because that's my boy. I've been hyping him up for, for so long now. And I think his, his fingerprints on this team have, have really mattered because a lot of the same pieces, I mean, obviously you have guys like Ant, right, um, who's only a second year. A lot of these guys are, it's the same cast of characters. It's D'Angelo Russell. It's Carl Anthony Towns. There, there's not a lot of infusion of talent that they had this season. But I think guys like Russell, who have been known to not play winning brand of basketball, Chuckers, um, he's playing pretty well. And I, and I, you know, if you ask anyone in Minnesota, like he's one of the key reasons for their success this year. And everyone, you know, the Wiggins, D'Angelo Russell trade, it's funny because it looked for a while like, okay, the Warriors really pulled off a heist there. But you know what? The Russell, Russell hasn't worked out too badly. So I don't know yeah. what to make of this team. They're not going anywhere with this nucleus, but, you know, you've got Ant who's young, Cat still young. You've got a promising future. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that, you know, if Ant really turns into a bonafide star, that really changes the trajectory. He's got to become that, you know, Jalen green is almost like this year's ant where you see flashes and you see like scoring bursts, but you see a lot of inefficiency. Edwards has gotten better from his rookie year, but he still hasn't gotten to the leap portion yep. of his career yet. And let's hope that comes in year three, which is where you see it for a lot of uh, stars who are really going to make it. And so the next year, I think is going to be really, really critical for him. Can he become a 25 point per game guy on good efficiency? play good defense, play within the flow, almost like the progression you saw from someone like Zach Levine, right? Um, you know they're shot makers, you know they're shot takers, but they got to do everything else well to become winning players. Um, and so that's something I'm looking at from Edwards. And, dude, Towns is amazing. I think Towns has long been one of the most underrated players in the league. Like, I know you're not necessarily the biggest Towns guy out there, but, like, I think he may give you PTSD from Cousins, really, in terms of productive big men on losing teams. But I think Towns is a baller, and I think, you know, he crowned himself the greatest big man shooter ever. That's probably still Dirk until Towns done so does something of significance. But we're sleeping on how good of an offensive player this is. This guy's seven foot tall, shooting 40-plus percent from three year after year on, on good volume, uh, not to mention the inside game that he has as well. So... Everything that Towns brings to the table, I think, has been accentuated. They don't play much defense, uh, despite a good defensive rating or decent defensive rating. I still think that that's going to be the Achilles heel of this team. Um, too many shootouts, but I think they're going to give us an entertaining five-game series with someone um, in the playoffs. They will. And, you know, Memphis or Golden State salivating to play them. It's yeah. So that two seed's going to matter. Yeah, when you're looking at Luka and or Jokic as your two other options, I think you're yeah. you're opting for. And, and look, I mean, I think you would rather play the 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 Timberwolves than the Clippers, who are the next team we're going to talk about, and one of the best coached teams I've ever seen in my whole life. Um, yeah. You know, Clippers don't have any top end talent. They're missing their three best players, and night after night they keep winning. So uh, maybe we just move to them right now. But you know. 
the the Clippers and the Lakers were pretty close in the standings for a long time, and now they've truly separated themselves. They are thirty five and thirty three. They're four uh, five and a half games up on the Lakers, so it seems like they're likely to finish in the eighth spot. Um, you know, twenty sixth in offense, but eighth in defense, eighteenth uh, net rating. Again. Missing Paul George for the most of the year. Missed Kawhi for all of the year. Traded for Norm Powell, then he immediately got hurt. So I am genuinely confused about how they're doing what they're doing. All I know is I see Luke Kennard in my dreams, in my nightmares, <laughs> for how many times he's killed the Wizards this year. So, like, I made fun of this team. The Morris extension, the Kennard extension, they're, they're I mean, Reggie Jackson, like, it's all worked. I don't know if that's Lawrence Frank. I don't know if that's Ty Lue, but it's amazing to watch this group of uh, group of guys. It is. Um, and it's funny because the Clippers, do you remember right before they got Paul George and uh, Kawhi Leonard? This is why people like them. They're a scrappy yep. team with Pat Bev um, and uh, Montrez Harrell, and they were just competitive. And they gave the Warriors, they gave the Durant Warriors fits. Um, wasn't was that series two two? That series was uh, yeah. Remember, because that was the I'm Kevin Durant game that he just came out and put all that talk to bed. Yeah, so I mean, this reminds me a lot of that team, although obviously very different makeup. And look, it's it's a bunch of guys. It's weird because this was a very hateable team just a couple of years ago. Um, with the Morris twins and people don't like Kawhi or PG, but I think seeing how Reggie Jackson is kind of resurrected his his reputation seeing guys like luke Kennard, despite the bad contract playing well you know some of the younger guys like terrence Mann. it's uh it's a fun team to watch and i think um there was rumors you know there's a video of Kawhi shooting in pregame at one of the games and rumors that maybe he'll come back but i think there was also a report coming out that says highly unlikely he will um but this just doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense, right? And Kawhi, we know, is not a guy to put his body on the line to come back earlier than than necessary. But it, it's one of those things, man, where it's like if if they could get Paul George back and Kawhi back, and of course they're not going to be in game shape, but on paper, right, assuming those guys are 80% of what they are, this team could easily get to the finals. Like yeah. it's Oh, my God. But this team is will win the title if they're healthy ever. Yeah, and saying if they're 80% is, is a big, you know, ask. But I, I'm just saying, like, I don't know. I wouldn't completely rule it out. If I'm Kawhi, I'm like, why not? You don't get that many shots at this. Like, another year, things could be totally different. It's true. The question is, can he do it alone? Or, you know, if he needs Paul George and Paul George is not ready yet, that would be that would be issue. And and what's, Yeah, but you survive. I don't know. What's Paul George's timetable look like? <sighs> Who the hell knows, dude? I've never heard of a basketball player have that kind of injury. And they basically, the Clippers say nothing about these guys. Like, it's I know. so bizarre. It's like, no one knows. That's like some people say he's going to play this year. Some people say he might get surgery. One thing I'll say is despite being 18th in offense, they have the second best clutch offense in the league this year behind Phoenix. That shows you the mastery, I think, of Ty Lue's late game adjustments. And then you add a guy like Kawhi, who is maybe the best individual late game offensive player in the league today. And those are the kind of things that really start to matter in the playoffs. So, you know, if I'm Kawhi, 
you're kind of torn, right? Because both him and Paul George are under long-term contracts, so there's no financial insecurity about their next contracts or next deals. At the same time, the Clippers are like, well, we don't have to go for it this year. We can retool and come back next year. Um, Do you like to do that with a healthy, potentially healthy 30-year-old pair of stars? I don't know. Um, It's the smarter long-term move, but think about the West next year. Think about the fact that the Nuggets will be fully healthy. The Warriors are going to get a healthy clay. Like, it's not going to get any easier, man. And, like, Dallas could, you know, retool a little bit. Yeah, uh, it's so and I don't you, know you, if there's even a possibility. I think you just take it. And that would be can you imagine a bigger shock to the playoffs than if somehow Paul George and Kawhi both came back and all of a sudden I, they're playing in round two. All I want is the Clippers Nets final. Yeah, just I need fully. to see Clippers fully. Yeah, of course, fully healthy Clippers Nets, the two little brothers of the two biggest cities in the U.S., the stars' power would be wild. The matchups would be incredible. I think we got one or two games last year with Durant and Kawhi both played together because those guys neither of them play basketball that often. So it's a you know it's like catching a shooting star if you can actually get them on the court at the same time. And it was just basketball nirvana, um, mid range for days. That's what we need. Absolutely, but. All right, the last team, which is outside of the top eight, but ceremonial playoff team that we have to discuss here is the Los Angeles Lakers. Very, very simple question for you. Um, so, But before I do that, let me give you their kind of bio here. They're 28 and 37, coming off a pretty bad loss to the worst team in the league, the Houston Rockets, or worst team in the West, I should say. 24th in offense, 17th in defense, 22nd in net rating. No sign of Anthony Davis at this point, but the question is very simple. Will they, at the end of the play-in, qualify for the playoffs? Yes. What's I rat? told you this before. I, 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 they, this, I am not betting against LeBron in two play-in games, and it looks like they're going to have to play two play-in games. AD, LeBron, I don't care about the rest of the roster. I don't care about Westbrook. They can beat the who would they have to play right now? Pelicans um, with Pelicans Zion, with and Zion. then yeah, with Zion, whatever. And then Clippers slash Timberwolves. Now Clippers have given them fits this year for sure. Yeah. Um, I just I don't see LeBron losing that game, man. I mean, they'll find a way to win. You realize it's not double elimination for him. It is. No, it is for the Clippers and the team. No, no, not double elimination. Sorry, they need to beat the Pelicans. Yeah, yeah, so they have to. They could have a one game loss and be gone. You think I'm worried about the Pelicans? If Zion them? plays, twenty seven points on sixty five percent shooting last year. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. Uh, Zion coming back. I'm CJ we'll McCollum. Um, I, I, I still say the Lakers make it, but beyond that, man, I mean, what is there to say? Do they even want to make it? That's also so, a game. That's also a playing game where they go down. 10, 15 early, and they just mail it in. Like, this is a team that will just, in LeBron too, they will just mail it in and then go to the offseason. So, I wouldn't be surprised. It is pretty funny that Phoenix is more or less locked into one, and the Lakers are more or less locked into eight as the only potential seed that they can get. So, we might get Phoenix LA again, where Phoenix is looking at it like, what the hell? We basically worked our ass off all year, and now we got to face a healthy... Anthony Davis and a healthy LeBron James in the playoffs 
before we even really get going here. And they would still sweep them. You I think, think so? The hell. They'd still sweep them. <laughs> if they maybe five. I could just see Westbrook looking off LeBron on a late game possession and he shoots it over the backboard. Westbrook, has any MVP in a five-year span tanked the reputation harder? And not necessarily just pure age, because, I mean, he is getting up there, but it's not like he's at the tail end of his career. Like, I think any MVP five years later where they're just completely trashed as a player. I can't think of anyone. I mean, Derrick Rose got injured. Um, Jordan won in 98, and he was retired in 03. I guess yeah, Jordan. Jordan's that, that doesn't that doesn't count. I'm I'm kidding. It was like his last real season. Um, not an MVP, but Dwight Howard. Uh, he finished second sure. to Rose in eleven. By sixteen, he was hated by everyone in the league. You're right, but not an MVP. To your point, Steve Nash. He won in 06. By eleven, his body was more or less broken down. Yeah, but but Westbrook's body's not broken down, right? That's the difference. That's it's not the thing. Yeah, having to take that toll. It's a good question. I'm trying to think. Um, definitely not any of the recent guys, right? Like all of them. 13. Who won in 13? Was that LeBron? One in 12 LeBron. and 13? 12 Durant, and 13 were LeBron. Durant, 14. 15, 16, Curry. 17, Westbrook. 18, Harden. 19, 20, Giannis. 21, Jokic. I mean, Harden could be there. In, in- yeah. I mean, if three is 17, more of of those nights. It's depressing, man. I hate watching this Lakers team. It's so whack. Like, you know, it's just like they none of them look like they want to be there, and then they'll have this short burst where they'll hit a bunch of threes and get back into it, and then they'll just get smoked again. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe they'll turn it on. I'll I'll never get tired of watching those – LeBron still has it every now and then, the 56-point night where he's it's feeling amazing. it. He's chest-thumping. He's heat-checking. I don't care what you feel about LeBron. That's still fun to watch. Like that. But the rest of it in between those games is just un- oh, terrible. unfiltered stat-chasing that is miserable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm fine, but I mean... You can't, you can't win, right? I mean, I agree he should be putting more effort on the court, but if he doesn't play... People are like, why isn't he playing? If he plays, it's he's stat chasing. Yeah. No, it's not stat chasing. If he plays and they do well, like, right, you can still beat Houston, I, I think. You well, can still he had not... a terrible game that game, right? That's not for – that was because he played poorly. But no, some of these other point... games, man, he plays well. The team doesn't win. Like, what more do you want him to do? I want him to figure out a way to not be losing by 30 points. He, to the he could try harder. He, he could get back on defense. He, he doesn't even harder. play any defense right now. He, he doesn't. It will, early in the season, he started, right? But LeBron, you know, look, I'm the biggest LeBron fan ever. He's become somewhat of a front runner where if the, things are going well, he'll be engaged. He'll play hard. The moment things turn, he's not playing D. He's letting guys go by him. I agree. It, it's not well, good. Well, Mickey Mouse ring aside, the other three <laughs> years, missed playoffs, round one loss, and then whatever this year becomes. So... Really bizarre that they only had one good season in the last four, despite having AD for three of those four. And LeBron still kind of at the peak of his powers. I mean, there's a lot that has been talked about the Russ trade. I don't want to go back down that rabbit hole, but 
you start with AD and LeBron, it's hard to not be a very, very good team. And maybe it's just about health and that's just where the conversation goes and there's nothing else to be said. But even when they played this year together, they weren't that good, um, which is surprising, so, I think. So here's how I think about it, right? When you when you evaluate that trade, I agree. Right? Uh, first of all, yes, they want a title and make, it justifies it, but you can still be disappointed in the fact that AD was like a top 10 player and LeBron is a, a top five player, right? By any metric. So when you when you pair the two of them, you're expecting at least a couple of contending seasons, which they've only gotten one of. But I think a lot of that falls upon AD and 100%. His, and but you couldn't predict this, right? Like no one like you knew he had an injury history, fine, but like you also didn't think that he would be not like have this little impact even this season. And so, but you can't be angry at betting on it. Like, you can't look back and be like, oh, we should have never traded all that for AD. Like, AD was seen as a top, like a unicorn type player, right? So, you can, I don't think you can go back and look at the trade as a, you can be disappointed, but I don't think you can look back and think, did they make the wrong decision? If that makes sense. Dude, didn't I say this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago? I, I, this is the exact point I made. I was like, the most bizarre thing about this trade is not that they gave up a ton. It's that AD doesn't look anything like what they thought they got yeah. and what he looked like his first year here. It, it's just really bizarre. Like all of, I would say most of this falls on AD's shoulders because if he was the player he was up till 2020, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Um, the fact that he looks like some other kind of version of him, that's on him. Frankly, that's not, I mean, that's not on the Lakers. And again, Brandon Ingram's a nice player, Josh Hart. Like, we can go down the list. Like, okay, the picks, yeah, maybe they turn into something. We'll see. Um, But if he was trending towards being an MVP, they traded for him when he was, what, 25 or 26? Yep. 26-year-old who had that kind of resume going into this situation. Like, what are we talking about? Like, you know what I mean? It's... There's no, there's no debate, and so the, you know, the fact that we're having the debate is, is all entirely on him. I, there's no other. I mean, yes, you could put on Palinka for the Westbrook move and some other stuff that they've done around the edges, but it doesn't take away from the fact that he's been sixty percent as good as his peak, fifty percent. Who knows? Like Lakers fans that we know hate him. Yeah, I mean, and, and the, you know, the reason for getting Westbrook was because. AD was, you couldn't rely on him to stay healthy. And, you know, they had a disappointing season last season. Like, LeBron went after Westbrook, right? And it's LeBron's fault. Like, I mean, it's still Palenka's fault, but LeBron pushed for it. Ultimately, they wouldn't have done that if they were relatively successful last year. They'd run it back. Why not? With KCP, with Caruso, with Lonzo, sign some of these guys or trade some of them, get Buddy Heald, make moves around the edges. But the reason they went for a big bang move was, we talked about this. They needed that regular season guy who could carry the team, spot them in games where AD was going to miss because inevitably he was going to miss games. And Westbrook hasn't been that guy. So it's, yeah, it, it, it's unfortunate, but you know what? Like you can't feel bad for the Lakers. And at the same time, you can't blame the Lakers. Um, you can blame yeah. them for everything they did this season, but it's it's just bizarre. AD is such a weird, weird player. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean... And he's still only 28, turning 29, so there's a lot of room to get better, but he's got to get healthy. He's got to get into a different kind of basketball shape, and 
you know, I have no faith that once LeBron uh, retires or enters a different phase of his career, that Le- that AD can be the number one on the team. Hopefully the Lakers know that now. And so they're always thinking about how to add a star that's equal or better than who, you know, than him. Yeah. What if Kyrie goes there? With LeBron? No, LeBron play. gets traded for Kyrie. Uh, <laughs> they won't do that. LeBron Durant? That would be... I would love that. <laughs> that would be insane. And then... And Ben Simmons. <laughs> ben Simmons. <laughs> Seth Curry? LeBron, Durant, and Seth Curry would win a title. Guaranteed. Like, immediately. Oh, I mean, yeah. That's a wrap. That's an instant wrap. Um, not a... Not a crazy move right if you're oh my god did i just stumble into something no they're not gonna Kyrie wouldn't agree to that he wouldn't want to play in la with anthony davis no he's buddies with durant he's buddies with david oh but apparently him and davis had a falling out because he tried to recruit him to come to the celtics and they they had some issues Uh, can you that can you imagine Kyrie's moodiness with davis is just lack of care for anything plus LA and oh god that would be a disaster that team's not working out but he would be closer to like I think some of the people who share some of his spiritual nature (laughs) that's true he would fit very well in LA very very well speaking Uh, of the Lakers have you and we'll wrap on this and I guess I don't have much to say because I haven't watched it yet but have you watched winning time the show about the the Lakers front office the, no, the Showtime Lakers. The, about the 80s Sorry, the Showtime Lakers. Lakers. I have not. I Actually, it looks really good from all the trailers. Um, so let's do this. Next week, let's both watch last week's episode as well as the one that's coming out on Sunday, and then we'll talk about it at the tail end of the pod. All right. Where can we watch it? It's HBO. Okay, perfect. Let's do that. All right. That is a wrap for us. Um, hey, maybe next time we'll talk. Ben Simmons will be back on a basketball court. Let's hope. But... Please rate, review, and subscribe. In the meantime, to Thick and Thin Hoops, please follow us on social media, and we will talk to you next week.